So this morning, we are starting a new series uh, just for these four weeks, a short four-week series um, called Home for Christmas. Anybody know the song? I'm going to sing it. I'll be home for Christmas. You can count on me. Thank you. You know the song. And that's where the, that's where the theme of this, this series is going to be, is around that theme of what is it about home during the Christmas season that just, that just grabs you and makes you want to be home, makes you want to be here. I mentioned that you know, Advent is the season of arrival, remembering the first arrival of Jesus, but also looking ahead to the second arrival of Jesus, because that's the world we live in now, is the in-between of looking back at the first story that I just read that we'll read each week during these four weeks, but also looking ahead to the second day, the trust of the hope of the coming of Jesus to make all things right. And that, that second longing is, is where, our, where our hearts, I think, are looking for, where, where our hearts are finding what our hearts are looking for during the season when we sing, I'll be home for Christmas. That longing that is deep within us that when we put up the lights and the garland and light the candles and sing the songs and eat the cookies, a longing forms in us, both of looking back and looking forward. There's a German word for longing that I can barely pronounce, but I'll try. It's called Sehnsucht. It's a word that Germans use, which we have a German that's in our church. I wish he was here this morning to, to correct me. Maybe he's listening online. But uh, sensucht is the German word for longing. And it's a word that means the sense of deep, inconsolable longing, yearning, the feeling of intensely missing something when we don't even know quite what it is. Anybody have that feeling ever where you just, you're longing for something or missing something and you can't even quite put words to it, but you're, you feel that sense of longing. A dream of a future when all things are right. That song, I'll Be Home for Christmas, was written in the context of uh, World War II. The person who wrote the lyrics, the, the person's name was Kim Gannon, and it was recorded later by Bing Crosby, 1943, in the heart of World War II. And it was picturing a soldier in World War II who was longing to be home for Christmas and kind of singing this song of promise that I'll be home for Christmas But the song, the refrain ends a couple of times with this kind of melancholy ending of, if only in my dreams. Kind of this sad sense of, I wish I could be there. And maybe I will, but if if nothing else, it's only in my dreams for now. We live in a world of waiting, waiting for arrivals, waiting for company to come waiting for hope, waiting for answers. The poet Langston Hughes, which I admittedly haven't really even thought much about since my high school English classes when we learned about poetry, but I stumbled on a poem of his this week, and he says this, I'm so tired of waiting, aren't you? For the world to become good and beautiful and kind. Let us take a knife and cut the world in two and see what the worms are eating at the rind. We're waiting, and it's hard to wait. 
And so as we engage in this series of Home for Christmas, we're engaging with the longing that we feel, all of us feel uniquely in our world. And why do we have that longing there? So this series is going to trace the theme of home from the scriptures. Because the Bible has a ton to say about home and different homes that God's people have had throughout the years. Remember last week when we were in Acts, we talked about a home. Remember being home in Rome. That's what we learned from the Apostle Paul last week, how he could find a home even in enemy territory, even amidst danger and trouble and persecution. He was able to find a home because the church was designed for hard places. Remember we said that last week. But this morning, we're going to look at the first theme of home. And as Sarah even mentioned in the children's story, we start at the, we start at the end. The beginning is the end. And so the home we're looking at this morning is the eternal forever home that is coming for all people who trust in the name of Jesus, that he has prepared a place in heaven for those who are looking for that longing to be met fully and finally. And the Bible has surprisingly a ton to say about heaven, our eternal home. We're tracing the theme of home from the story of the ages. And so this week we'll look at heaven And then next week, we'll go back to the very, very beginning and look at the first home, Eden, the Garden of Eden. And then we'll look at the Christmas home, Bethlehem. And then ultimately, the Sunday before Christmas, we'll look at the spiritual home, the home that Jesus makes for us. But this morning, we're going to look at heaven. And you can't look at it comprehensively because there's too much to tell, too much to share. We're going to look at just a few points this morning. And the text that I'm going to read and preach from this morning is actually not the Christmas story in Luke. That was just kind of a a setup for us, though it does talk about, you know, the one whose government, you know, his, his kingdom will be forever and the government will be on his shoulders. But the text we're going to use this morning that if you'd like to follow along, you can, um, is just one verse and it's Revelation 21 verse one. It's the only verse we're going to look at this morning. You know, we've been in the last several months looking at ch- like chapters at a time. These next couple of weeks, we're just going to look at one verse at a time. Just take bite-sized chunks of home. Revelation 21, 1. This is what the Bible says about home. Our forever home. The home that will satisfy every longing we've ever had. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Revelation 21, 1. How does the Christmas story in Revelation 21, the second to last chapter of the Bible, how do those two stories connect? You see, when you have a birth of a little baby Jesus during this Christmas season that we're learning about and celebrating, entering into again and remembering, what we see is that the birth of Jesus actually transforms that longing that we have deep inside of our hearts, deep inside of our souls. It takes that longing that we all feel and it makes it a home. When Jesus is born, he actually is creating an everlasting, perfect home for us that is promised and sure and certain. And that's the connection. Between Luke 1 and Revelation 21, 
It goes from longing to home. It goes from traveling or a pilgrim or a stranger or a foreigner or a guest in a house to a home that is made just for you, where that longing is eternally satisfied. And that's the only place where that longing will ever be fully satisfied. Let me give you just a couple of concepts of heaven this morning, just to whet your appetite for that day of when that second advent comes and we are forever home with God forever. First point, again, these are simple, simple but life-changing. First point, heaven is the new home. See how the word new here is mentioned several times? I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Heaven is the new home. Whatever, whatever concept you have of the word new, just a short three-letter word, whatever concept you have of the word new, I want you to take that concept and throw it out the window right now. Because whatever, you can, whatever you're trying to picture as new, whether it's a new car or a new iPhone or a new building, a new house, it's not, it's not enough. It's not a big enough picture for what the new heaven and the new earth is described as. There's really, there's no metaphor here that I can give you of what the new will be like. Again, we have just these small little conceptions of new, but just throw that out the window. Create a new category for yourself. I, I wish there was a word that was just for this, but we don't have a word that's just for this, so we have to use the words we have, like new. And that's what it says here. It's not about getting something or replacing something. It's about an altogether new version. It's about a better substance. It's about something that is once limited by this that now is a brand new area. And there's really no place to describe it. I mean, think of going from a, being a homeless person to living in a mansion. Even that doesn't describe well enough the change from our current reality to the forever home. And if you were to read Revelation 21, the whole chapter, and then Revelation 22, the whole chapter, and then come to the end of the Bible, you'd get some beautiful images, beautiful metaphors of what heaven will be like. But they're, they're ultimately limited because all they do is just create this longing in us. So we have, to, we have to figure out a little bit what this means by new. Let me give you just a couple of ways here. First is that when it says heaven is new, really maybe another way to understand it is it's a renewal. It's a renewal of heaven and earth. You see the, the comprehensiveness here of the text is it's not just one thing being made new. It's the whole thing being made new. Genesis 1.1, a verse that most everybody in the world probably knows. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Revelation 21.1 should be just as exciting to memorize. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. You see that? It's the bookends of the Bible. Comprehensive. Just as God created all things at the beginning, he's going to make it all new at the second advent of God's coming, of Jesus' coming. It's a comprehensive, total renewal of the Genesis 1-1 story. You see, the new heavens and the new earth isn't just a return to the old, new, uh, to, to the old Garden of Eden. You know, sometimes we think that maybe, maybe heaven will just be like the Garden of Eden again, where God is with us, and we're in this beautiful garden, 
and it's simple. But actually, what God's plan is, is, is way better than what it was to begin with. His story doesn't just return to the beginning. It renews the beginning in a brand new, just kind of blow the categories up. It's going to be even better than you can imagine new. That's exciting. That's amazing. It'll be better than Eden. And that, just let me pause on that comment for a second. What does that change about how you view your current life or why things are happening? Or how could God let this thing happen? Or how could this bad thing be part of God's plan? I don't have the full answers for why bad things happen or why sin entered the world. But what I do know is that God is using it to make things better than it ever would have been before. That the reality that is coming for us in our new heavenly home is better than what it could have been even at the beginning. And I don't, I don't even fully understand that, but that's how the Bible talks about it. Is that Genesis 1-1, for as perfect as it was, God can take a perfect thing and make it even more perfect. Make an even new category of perfect. And that's what the heavenly home will be. New. New heaven, new earth. And, and let me just, let me explain that a little bit more. Because how can heaven be better than what it already is? Heaven is perfect, right? But it says it's a new heaven. Which means that there's something even greater that God is preparing for us. And do you know what that new, better thing is? God and humanity dwelling together. That actually makes heaven better than what it ever was before. Better than what it even is now. Better than what it even was at the beginning. Heaven is God's dwelling. It's where the angels dwelling. It's where there's glory happening all the time. How could heaven be new? There's nothing wrong with heaven. But the whole substance of heaven becomes earth. I, I am going to take you into the, actually the next two verses, just, just to explain this a little bit better. But Revelation 21, look at verses 2 and 3. Then I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Heaven and earth will be one. And that will be home. And that will be better than what it ever could have been before. You know, it's, it's easy to think of, a, of earth being made new because look at, look at all what's wrong with earth. We have sin, we have brokenness, we have division, we have smog, we have pollution, we have trash in the ocean. It's like, okay, I, could, I can conceive a new earth, right? You know, you, you, get the, you get the Google images of what earth could look like if we don't change our you know, climate patterns and things like that. Like you, can see, you can see, okay, I can, I can see how God will make that new. But the beautiful thing about the new heavens and the new earth is that they will be one and they will be glorious and beautiful. And that's what it means by new. I, I was watching a, a Netflix TV show a couple of weeks ago. They only had one season. They canceled season two. So I don't know how it's going to finish. Um, but it's a, it's a story about uh, picturing sending the first astronauts from Earth to Mars. And apparently it's like a year and a half journey on a spaceship to Mars. And so again, this hasn't happened in real life. It's just kind of a, a picture of what could happen, what it could look like. 
And so they trace this story of these people on the spaceship going to Mars to be the first people to put their feet on Mars. And one of the cool things about it was they took a, an astronaut who was a trained botanist who loved plants and knew all things about how to grow things. And he had on the spaceship with him plants that he knew he could take and plant on Mars to bring life to the red planet, to bring to Mars. Think about how beautiful of an image that is. You have the red planet with plants on it that could grow. It's like, wow, that's a beautiful new creation, a new planet. But even that is just a small taste of what the new heavens and the new earth will be like. It is so certain, and it's beautiful. Second, the second way we can understand this idea of new, this concept of the new heavens and new earth, is that, is that heaven is coming for us. It is in the future, it is coming for us. And what do I mean by that? It says here that the first heaven and the first earth had passed away we, we use that phrase sometimes to talk about people that have, have died, people that have, are living no more, they, they pass away. It's kind of a softer way of describing death. But that's really not what's happening here. It's not that earth is dying or is dead. It's that earth, earth is departed. What, what once was will be no more. Every reality of brokenness that we are experiencing now will Walk off the stage. Just like I walk off this platform when it's not my time to talk, that's what earth will do when its time is done. Why? Because a new substance, a new reality is coming into the picture. It it is going to discontinue in its current state. Earth will not always be this way. There is a forever more beautiful reality that will come. You know what it reminds me of is, is a passage in 2 Corinthians 5 where it says, The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. And do you know what that passage is talking about? It's not talking about heaven and earth. It's talking about people. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He or she is a new creation. The old has passed away. Same word, passed away. Behold, the new has come. Do you hear that for you? When you are in Christ, your old reality, your old substance, your old things that defined you, the things that have burdened you, the things that are weighing you down, that walks off the stage. And a new person has come. And you are a new creation. So do you see here that that the new heavens and and the new earth perfectly lines up with the new person that we are becoming in Christ? The new heavens and the new earth is designed for new people. Talk about harmony and beauty, as if ever two things were meant to go together. The ultimate, P, B, and J, right? New people, new heavens, and new earth. That's what home is. You get glimpses of this in the world today when you feel at home and you feel right. When you feel like you're at a place where you just, you're, it's just like, this is, this is just, it feels like the stars have aligned. And again, heaven is going to be that to the ultimate degree. C.S. Lewis said, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, 
The most probable explanation is that I was made for another world, and you were. And Jesus' birth begins that process for each of us of giving us the hope that there's a new world that's coming where I'm gonna, everything that I feel and long for will be met, and it's going to be glorious. So heaven is new. That's the first point. Second point, heaven is safe. Heaven is safe. What makes you feel unsafe today? Think of the danger we face in our world today. We, we feel danger or fear of so many things. And I know many of you have had many dangerous and fearful moments in your life. And um, it doesn't take much to feel afraid or to sense danger lurking. I have a list here, and I don't even, wonder, I don't even really want to read them because I think they'll just probably bring up PTSD for each of us of things that we're scared of or don't want to mention. So I'm just going to, I'm actually not going to mention them. I'm going to let you identify it in your own heart. But let me say this. What are, are you scared of sea monsters? You're probably thinking, that was not what I was expecting Pastor Stephen to say right now. That was kind of a quick turn, wasn't it? So we have the ocean, what, you know, a couple hundred yards from here. Have you ever sat in this church and said, what if a giant leviathan comes out and attacks the church? I don't, I don't usually think that myself. But guess what? First century people did. The sea or the ocean was a place of danger, of terror. They didn't know what was going to come out of that big blue wet thing out there. They were terrified of the sea because it was unknown. They didn't have scuba divers or big ships to go out into the ocean. All they knew is that they saw giant waves and deep water and storms and that it was dangerous. And they they thought maybe there were sea monsters that live under there. And so why do I say that? The reason I say that is because look at chapter 21 of Revelation, verse 1. Talked about the new heavens and the new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And then you get this kind of random statement, and the sea was no more. And I was explaining this to a group of high school students a couple of years ago, and they said, that sounds terrible because I love to surf. And I said, you're missing the point. This has nothing to do with surfing or the beach or snorkeling or those kind of things. This has to deal with the fact that first century livers and in uh, ancient Palestine were terrified of the sea because of the danger that it had. It was a place where they didn't know what was going to come out of it. It was a troubling place. I, I think the only way I could really compare it today is kind of the way we talk about a dark forest. You know, like there's that poem, in the dark, dark wood, there was a dark, dark you know, that, that kind of thing, where Like a dark place where there could be danger, there could be bears, there could be animals, there could be something to come out to get me. That's kind of how first century people viewed the sea, as a place of danger. And the sea is no more in the new heaven and the new earth. And what that means is the danger, or even the thought of danger, even the possibility of danger, is no more. It's gone. You don't have to even think about the possibility of maybe what might could come out because it's not even there. The possibility for danger is not there. And that includes sin. Remember when I said earlier that 
the first heaven or um, the, the first garden of Eden was great, but the second one will be even better. This is why in the first Eden, there was potential for sin. There was a, there was a way to rebel. The second heaven, there will be no tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There will be no threat of Satan. There will be no threat of a sea monster coming out of the sea. There will be no possibility of sin. It is safe. You are home. There is nothing to fear. All that PTSD of things you're scared of, put it away because the new has come. The sea is gone. I mean, come on. That's, that's living, right? That is safety. There are no threats. I'll go a little bit further here. Verse 4, it says he'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Neither will there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain. The former things have passed away. That means there's no emotional threats. There's no physical threats. There's no spiritual threats because God is dwelling with his people. They will be his people. He will be their God. There's no chance for idolatry. There's no chance for messing this up. You are with God and it's perfect because it's new. Truly, you will be the bride for God, the groom. And there's no possibility of messing that marriage up. You can't cheat on God. You won't be unfaithful to him. It's the perfect, beautiful marriage. Heaven is peace. That's what safety really is. It's peace. It's true safety, true wholeness. Not just a safe house like we think of it today where you go to escape danger for a period of time. As beautiful as those things are, think about the work of Amira that we support where they have safe houses that they set up for women who are escaping danger. It's a beautiful haven of heaven on earth today. But that's, that's only just part of it. This isn't the witness protection program where you're protected from the bad guys that, that you turned in and now you're somewhere far away in Arizona or something. This is, this is true safety, true peace. As St. Augustine says, he is a Christian who even in his own house acknowledges himself to be a stranger. Our true house or our true country is above because in that inn or in that lodging, we will not be guests. You will be home. It's yours. Live in it. No danger. Last point. It's all too good to be true. It's all too good to be true. <laughs> it's like it can't be. Like, we're much too realistic right now, right, as modern people. Let me tell you why this is a real thing. John, uh, Revelation 21.1, John, the writer of Revelation, says the first three words, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. He saw it. God gave him this vision that he was to write down because he saw it with his own eyes. You may be skeptical and say, that's just a a metaphorical vision, or how can we trust this guy? This was 2,000 years ago. He was exiled on Patmos, this random island all by himself. Why would we trust John? But... This is where the Christmas story comes wrecking into our conception here. The Christmas story we just read was all about people that saw the birth of Jesus. 
John, 1 John 1, 1 to 4, he talks about the importance of eyewitnesses seeing. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was from the Father and made manifest to us. That which we have seen, that's three times in three verses, that which we have seen and heard, we also proclaim to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and the Son, Jesus Christ. We're writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Three times, he says, we have seen these things, so we are passing them on to you. John was an eyewitness of the birth of Jesus. Jesus' birth brought heaven to earth. Jesus' life and teachings and miracles, his crucifixion on the cross, all of that is the reason why heaven is a certainty. And people saw Jesus being born. They saw his life. They recorded his story. They saw him on the cross. And they saw the empty tomb three days later. And this is why I say week after week that ultimately the Christian story comes down to did Jesus rise from the dead or not? Because if he did... There's a heaven for us. If he didn't, we're all in a hoax. But eyewitnesses saw Jesus. They saw the empty tomb. And that same John says, and then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. I think this guy, John, has some credibility with us. Because what he saw, others saw. The life of Jesus that he saw, others saw as well. And lives have been transformed over and over. And this is where it comes down to us. Lastly, eyewitnesses saw their own lives changed and transformed. If you believe in Jesus, you've seen the change in your own life. Again, 2 Corinthians 5, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old walks off the stage, the new walks in. All this is a validation of what we cannot see, which is heaven. I can't tell you if heaven is real. I haven't been there. I'm living with you. I'm on the same planet you are. But when I see the text of the Bible, and I see the story written, and I see the birth of Jesus, I say, of course the God that I believe in would prepare a place like that, because he is that good. And I put my hope in that. The new heaven and the new earth is for new people. Let me close with this story. I heard this story this week. It's a story of uh, a guy who was on an airplane. And uh, he got on the airplane as they were, everybody else was getting on, and he quickly fell asleep. That's what I do, too. I get on the airplane, and I fall asleep pretty quick. Just very peaceful. Got on the airplane, put his bag in the overhead compartment, fell asleep. While he was sleeping, he didn't know that their flight was delayed, and they were checking on some kind of mechanical issue or something, but they sat on the tarmac for two hours. And the people sitting next to him were awake during this whole thing. And the guy woke up two hours later, saw that the plane was on the ground, and got up and started to get his suitcase off the plane because he thought they had landed in their destination. He missed the whole delay process. And the people next to him said, no, 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 wait, wait, we haven't even left yet. He's like, oh, that's embarrassing. So he sits back down. He thought the plane had landed. So friends, this is my encouragement to you. Don't be like that man when it comes to heaven. In terms of sleeping through your whole life, 
waiting for that destination to come. Be awake. Live your life with the joy and the hope that comes with knowing that you're going to get to your final destination. Don't sleep through this life and then wake up and think you're there and then realize that you just missed all the joy of life, actually. Because that's what the first advent does. The first advent of Jesus brings joy and peace and love and hope in anticipation of the second coming. C.S. Lewis, again, I'll finish with this. Aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, you get neither. So let's live our life with the hope of heaven and you'll get the joy of earth now. Let me close in prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you that you have given to us a certain hope with a beautiful new heaven and new earth that we admittedly don't know how glorious it can be because our hearts can't even really trust or believe that something could be that good. But Lord, give us that faith because that does change the way we live our life. If we knew there was a home we were going to that good, that would change how we lived here. Our life would be urgent and joy-filled. So Lord, during these next four weeks of Advent, would you allow that to be our reality? Help us to encourage one another towards that and sing songs with that exuberance so that the whole world may know that this is not the end of the story, but there is a new home that is reserved for you and me. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.